What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 126 of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole's with me today, as always. Also, we got two guests returning for probably his fourth time, Dr. Patrick Key. Patrick, what's good, man? Hey, thanks for having me. You're supposed Not to sound a little enough. bit more enthusiastic, <laughs> but that's fine. We'll recover, hopefully. Hey, we're here. All right. Thanks for having me. We also have a first-year student, right, AJ? Right. AJ Alford right. is uh, an intern at Federer with me and um, also a first year at MUSC, so he's hanging out with us today. So we're happy to have him here today, too. This is his first time on the, on the old cast. Happy but um, yeah, man, we're happy to have you. And um, yeah, so we're going to talk through some cool stuff today. But before we get started, obviously, Patrick, the world's dying to know what you've been up to. <laughs> are they? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've been up to a lot. Things are getting really busy. I'm in my second year of residency. We're... Uh, we're doing really cool stuff now. They let me design my own project this year. So we're like going in and looking at which patients that have been identified at high risk for suicide have overdosable medications prescribed. And if they're prescribed over a 30 day supply, um, then we go ahead and we write a note on it. And we're not saying change this, you know, apparently there's a lot of liability involved. So we're just saying these meds are high risk, consider something else. Um, it's really rad so far. I had to look up every single drug that, that, uh, can be provided and learn the overdose data behind it. Surprisingly, not many resources on overdose. So that, when, we, what did you, like, when you say every drug, you're I talking mean, literally every drug. That I mean, be- I spent like a week and just like in my free time, I'd pull up my laptop, go to like PubChem or, or some other kind of at least tertiary resource, type in the drug name and then look at overdose data if there was any. Hmm. And a lot of time the package inserts help, there's case reports. Again, PubChem is a great resource. But I, I feel like if you're looking for like pregnancy, there's like Briggs overdose, there's like nothing. And and don't say don't say poison. Don't say poison.org. Mm. They're useless. Well, poison.org. No. <laughs> I feel like that's the one I said. Don't also, I up. really hope that there's no one that works at poison.org <laughs> listening. So Patrick just insulted you, my bad. Well, I contacted them and He's, said, hey, which beta blockers are lethal in the case of overdose? Fat soluble ones, duh. And they said, uh, yeah, antihypertensive beta blockers. Huh. So, so, uh, so I guess you just need me on your team then. So what yeah, about poison do. control? What do they use? What, what, you know, or, or not poison control, but when you call the, like, um, the guys in Columbia and South Carolina, Oh, you know what I mean? I should have called them. I was going to say. Yeah, I you didn't. Know? I should have called I mean, them. any mom knows to do I that. Could, I could have saved a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. you probably could have. Could have okay. done in 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway, you know, everything's good. Everything's good. Just working on that, working on everything else in residency, you know. It's a full-time job. You're, With um, South Carolina now allows, you know, in the retail setting to pharmacists to swap to 90-day supplies with the caveats being controlled substances and antipsychotics. Not a lot of No kidding. Those. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Though um, there's some some gray area there with things that could be used for other things but might also be being used for some kind of psychotic disorder. But anything that's definitely classified as antipsychotic can't swap to a 90-day. So that's an interesting thing. Um, I don't want us to get off the rails. But something fascinating Here we go. is if you look up the, like, what is it, the ICD codes um, for death, uh, if you look those up, and I, and I promise, look it up. You can try. Um, I looked up, like, what would they call it if you overdosed on lithium on purpose? It's called an antipsychotic overdose. Like, and that's bizarre. And so then there's even like these extrapolating things that if you like overdose and then like you crash your car into a tree, that's an overdose death. It's bizarre. I don't know. Um, so there was a lot, 
Well, like I guess they can only have so many codes, you know, like car crash, overdose, death. Well, they that, didn't that one, code. I'm, not I'm a billable code. You know? <laughs> I'm being facetious, but you could you could have its own code for lithium, I think, or or even just call it like a mood stabilizer or, or something instead of an antipsychotic. So, oh, that's what they're just calling an antipsychotic. Yeah, gotcha. and it goes with the other ones. And it, I mean, they have it. Is it specifically say lithium? Because wouldn't they just call it poisoning, like intentional poisoning? So it's or? it's intentional. I don't remember the exact one, but it's intentional overdose of antipsychotic or, or along those lines. Um, but no, it, does, it doesn't have the word lithium in it. Hmm. And it will be coded with the other ones. So it's, it's hard to like do retrospective data analysis. Anyway, we don't have to go too far down this it, rabbit hole. AJ, what, what Patrick's doing right now is he's filibustering. Yeah, I'm trying to make <laughs> the show go. He's, he's panicking. He's, no. in full, he's, in full, <laughs> he's in full panic mode. I'm panicking. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm sounding confident. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See, the, the other thing you got to know about Patrick AJ is that he's extremely full of himself. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> AJ, listeners, make sure you know that. Tell everyone you know, Patrick, it's K-E-Y. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Look him up on Facebook. You want to give him my address? Sure, you got okay. it. No, uh, his address will be included in the show notes. Please, don't. <laughs> AJ, what's up, man? We have to introduce you too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm from here, Charleston, South Carolina. I was in the Navy for a little bit and came back. Uh, nice. Now I'm in healthcare, uh, getting into it. Really loving pharmacy. I'm still in that phase where I can sort of save the world, uh, just be me by myself. So, um, I'm figuring that out. What made you go to pharmacy versus? Other healthcare. So I actually got accepted into medical school and pharmacy school and uh, shadowing doctors and then shadowing a pharmacist. Uh, I went to CVS and sort of worked as a tech there. And I was like, I would absolutely not want to be a pharmacist at all, ever. Uh, and then two months later, I accepted my uh, <laughs> acceptance into pharmacy school. Uh, but between that, it was kind of like one of those things where um, very objective kind of guy. You know, there's different disease states and diagnosis, all the kind of stuff that goes into that wasn't really into a lot of that. I just wanted numbers, things that I can look at and understand and know, and that for the most part won't change very much. Uh, and that's drugs, uh, not pharmacodynamics and things like that. I mean, it changes every day, but I, I really enjoyed a lot of the chemistry behind pharmacy, and that's why I started. Nice, and then you meet Patrick, and you're like, is this what a pharmacist is like? Mm -hmm. Oh, whoa. Like, is, <laughs> whoa. Like, is that acceptance still good for medical school? Well, uh, we it's... have very similar motivations. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's really hit Chemistry major. So here's, I don't know. The, the one thing I will say, though, is as far as like staying like the same, pharmacotherapy changes literally every week. That's the one, the one thing where it will uh, change very abruptly. And the, the concepts, I think, will stay the same. But then the overall, that's where you do have to be like constantly willing to update and change and stuff like that. And you'll see like when you finish, when you finish school, like two years later, your notes just be like trash at that point because most of them are completely But I guess outdated. if I'm thinking of like what a doctor does day to day and a pharmacist does day to day, I guess there may be, there probably is less gray area with what a pharmacist does versus yeah. I would what, say, what a doctor I would say 100%. Does. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. We're all in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree, just for the heck of it. I disagree completely. So yeah, Patrick's cool. here, which means we must be doing a women's health topic? Oh, yeah. Women's oh, health oh. topic. Okay, so let's talk about uh, contraception and their interactions with mood stabilizers. I'll start with carbamazepine. Which ones can't we use? Dude, first of all, we've already talked about okay, the auto-induction of, of carbamazepine. Okay, no, not, no, one, no one here's impressed, so no, just okay. let's just get off that. <laughs> Which ones can't we use, though? I, I didn't hear you. Any of the uh, any wow. the, the, the estrogen wow. combos. Okay, you can, can use, use them. You just have to be monitoring. You can use them. It'd be wrong. 
That's you get to use progesterone only. Don't fall for it, Mike. Don't fall for it. IUD is the answer. Oh, please. Get out of here. That's the yeah, answer. And, and it's a progesterone only, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, that's sh- not the... Sh- <laughs> doesn't matter. You're destroyed. <laughs> AJ, I want you to know Patrick's my uh. nemesis. He used to be my student, and now he's gotten a big head, and so now this is it. We, we have to fight to the death on the air every time that's he comes not, on. If, if you go back and listen to all four episodes, you will see one antagonizer every time. His name is Patrick Kate. Okay. All right. So we're going to be talking about schizophrenia kind of again. They they all gave me a hard time because they said that I repeat topics too much, but that's okay because there's some cool stuff that came out and some new updates from the new guidelines from 2020. So whenever there's a new guideline, that justifies us doing it again. There you go. That's all Thank you. you. Yes. It doesn't, I ma- doesn't matter what Patrick says. No, I, I, I came over here and I said, this is a great topic. We I, should, yeah. Mm. We should dive right in. Yeah. I said schizophrenia. You've never talked about that before. No, you didn't. Okay. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Meet, Schizo- somebody, Schizo- mute, somebody mute his mic. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. So um, we'll kind of just go through. A, we've talked about this before in a podcast, and obviously a lot of the background information hasn't changed, but we'll kind of just review some of that. So as far as, and, and Patrick, throughout your residency, have you dealt much with this as far as like dealing with patients who are either like maintained, um, have schizophrenia that have their symptoms maintained, like kind of under control and being under maintenance, or have you had people with like new onset psychosis that you've dealt with at all? I mean, this is going to sound probably odd to a lot of our learners or, or anybody's like not mental health, but I will say that it's more engaging and honestly more challenging to approach a patient who is long term controlled, um, than someone who's like newly psychotic or like newly, you know, disorganized. Um, because, the hard thing is like, you know, like when you're starting therapy, which I feel like we talk about in school and on tests, it's like, okay, well, know about, know about cholesterol, know about your QTC, know about your heart rate and your blood pressure and all of that. But when you actually encountered it in practice and you see like, okay, this guy's, you know, like A1C went to 11 in four months, you know, it, and it makes you like reorient and think like, well, what do we do now? You know, like, sure, like we know some that are less, like likely, um, but how do you actually manage it once it already happens? And so those are, there are their own sets of guidelines for that. And they're not exactly official. Um, but I do have like a collection that I've made. And, um, I will say that like those patients, the biggest challenge I didn't see coming is that I prepared for one of these patients and I was, I had this beautiful pitch and I pitched it to him and he said, no, I said, what? He's like, no, I like it. I said, okay. He but likes- I explained the risks again. He's like, no. Likes what? He likes being what stable. He, he likes the drug he's on. Oh, gotcha. And, and he doesn't care about the side effects. He'll, he'll work it out. And honestly, there was a part of that that I like was really, you're going you're gonna to think I'm a jerk. I was really humbled by it. And I thought like, well, I think you're a jerk. Well, because I think like only people were like, oh, I was really humbled. <laughs> but I was. It made me feel like. You're right. Now I think you're a jerk. This really <laughs> is like a 50-50 thing. Like if they're not on board, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And like there was nothing I could do to get him on board because he liked being stable more than anything else. Yeah, of course. And so that was the end of the story. It was, yeah. it was really interesting. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So as far as like, you know, the, the different types of symptoms, um, you know, we have like basically hallucinations where you're seeing like the perceptual abnormalities, um, you know, it can involve any, it can be auditory, it can be visual. Um, you may have um, delusions where you have like these erroneous beliefs. Um, you could have like misinterpretations of reality. Um, you can have patients that have like disorganized, you know, whether it's speech or behavior. Um, and then they have what they call negative symptoms, um, which is where they have like, um, effective flattening, um, allergia, 
um, what are some other negative symptoms that you've seen, Patrick? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Um, so like even the ones that aren't acute, you know, like social isolation, um, mm-hmm. withdrawing from family and friends, not communicating with people um, is a huge one that's usually pretty predictive because it, it, it usually is a slope, at least in my experience. I can't say this like I have 50 years of experience, but um, for the patients who do present acutely, there is usually some warning signs like them not showing up to appointments, uh, you know, like maybe like their wife saying that they don't talk to them anymore or something like that. Um, Aside from those, we've got like, uh, you know, not going outside, um, you know, like staying home is even if it's like at a detriment to your health. Um, so like not going shopping for groceries, for example, is a good one. Um, not, uh, like showering, you know, not doing your, again, the activities of daily life, something that leads to you being non-functional. And this isn't exactly stuff that you'll see in an inpatient psych ward. You know, you, you will see like the flat affect, the, the lack of speech and all that, but, but some of these signs can proceed it like a pretty long way. I don't know what I'm leave, leaving out. I think you got it. And then there's also cognitive symptoms, which they look at a little bit separately, but impaired attention, working memory, executive function can all be impaired as well. And the other thing that would be, you know, and we're all in the pharmacy side of things, but the other thing that would be really difficult too is also the, the differential diagnosis as well. Like, is it truly, you know, schizophrenia that's causing this patient's symptoms. I mean, there's so many different, like, I guess, what's the word, subcategories of that, like schizoaffective disorder. And, oh, yeah. Um, and there can yeah, be overlapping and, things, too. And I think pharmacists still have to deal with, you yeah. know, teasing out what's appropriate because that's going to affect treatment, too. Yeah, and, and the problem is if you go to, like, even, like, you know, like a tertiary reference, like Lexicomp or something, and you look at, let's say, cariprazine or something that's, like, extremely specific... It'll say, you know, like schizo, oh gosh, don't misquote me. It'll say schizophrenia and bipolar, but if someone has schizophrenia bipolar type, for example, you, you can't like approve that because it's not schizophrenia or bipolar. It's very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've come to learn is that, you know, like in my experience, whenever I'm reading these notes, the first time you see someone or the first time a provider sees someone, I should say, that diagnosis is not going to be schizophrenia, PTSD, uh, you know, like MDD or something. It'll say MDD, rule out mood disorder, rule out schizophrenia, rule out substance use disorder. Like it is, it takes a long time. Like you, uh, I think it's like Cole said, you know, teasing, teasing that out and really making sure that you have the diagnosis. Cause you can, there are like questionnaires and stuff. Sure. But when you come to like an actual diagnosis, it's something that you really need to be sure of because you are kind of putting a label on that person that could affect their medical life forever. Well, and also to the, the non-psychiatric issues, I mean, you could have everything from, you know, a, a brain tumor, um, there's different endocrine disorders like uh, Addison's disease or Cushing syndrome, um, neurosyphilis, Lyme disease, like there's all these different things that could potentially cause uh, multiple sclerosis, um, even like Wilson's disease, you're going to build up of copper in your system. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different things that could potentially lead to some of those symptoms that you know, definitely would be um, a tough diagnostic, uh, you know, criteria to meet. Something that I think, um, and I won't get on a tangent about this, I promise, but something that I feel like we leave out a lot when we think of psychosis is Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people say that, you know, like Parkinson's disease, the biggest complication is like the movement disorders. And, and I would actually argue with that and say it's the progressive neurodegeneration. Um, and it's, I mean, I want to say like, it's not like a death sentence by any means, obviously. I mean, there are plenty of people who do very well with Parkinson's, but if it goes untreated, I mean, this, the disorganization goes farther and farther and farther. And part of the basic workup for Parkinson's is asking how their mood is and then asking if someone's with them, 
how they think it is mm -hmm. um, and seeing if they match. It's it's super interesting, but PDP or Parkinson's disease psychosis is is very specific and kind of hard to manage if you don't know what it is, if it's just someone who comes in psychotic and you don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Well, speaking of the EPS stuff, so we've gone through the drugs before, but um, the first generation of psychotics are going to be, well, the high potency ones are going to be uh, more likely to cause uh, EPS and movement disorders. You also have a low potency, which um, have concomitant anticholinergic, antihistaminic, alpha adrenergic blocking properties that are present, but the first-gen antipsychotics are going to block those D2 receptors in the brain, um, dopamine receptors in the brain. That's primarily their function. And I got to ask this question too. Like, well, why are some of the low potency going to have those other like multitude of adverse effects, whereas the high potency ones are more so, you know, trending towards the EPS as far as the main adverse effect. So if you think about it, like the high potency are obviously going to have higher, you know, activity, higher binding affinity towards the D2 receptors. So you're going to get that activation on the dopamine receptors and that's what actually causing the EPS in the first place. Whereas if you're not getting as much activity on those receptors, it leaves you more room for the, the histamine receptors, the 5-HT receptors, um, you know, the alpha androgenic receptors. So you're going to get more of those other um, types of adverse effects when it comes to those things because it's more of a spread out amongst those different um, types of different receptors. So uh, same thing with like mirtazapine, like low doses, you're going to get sedation. Mirtazapine is crazy. That's a whole lecture. <laughs> mirtazapine is the weirdest drug we have. Yeah. Well, I mean, the low doses, you get like more of the sedation and stuff like that. And then as you, the doses get higher, because you're getting less binding on the histamine receptors and things, you're going to get more binding on, you know, the actual serotonin and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things when, it, when you think about the side effects, low potency, more spread out high potency though that eps symptoms that can be very uh debilitating to patients right and i'm glad that you that y'all both brought up the alpha adrenergic part of it because one of the biggest counseling points like if you're starting someone on seroquel for the first time is like be careful you're probably going to be dizzy with this first one mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's not like you know like with losartan or something where you're like oh you could be it's like you probably will mm -hmm. until you get used to it like you need to watch out for this um and i feel like because there's so many long-term more serious things that that can be overlooked and i i think that if i'm the one taking it i would want to know that i might pass out the next day you know it's, sure. it can definitely be dangerous um well especially since it's taken at night you get up in the middle of the night and you get that orthostatic oh yeah drop i mean yeah. usually anyway so yeah that's definitely a good point and we'll we'll talk more too i got um i got a chart we can kind of go through that has a lot of the side effects and stuff when you break out the different second generation um antipsychotics but uh it's as far as the first generations, that what Patrick, when when you're in practice, like what kind of which which first generations do you typically see? I mean, haloperidol probably haloperidol all the time, but haloperidol really it's just for like delirium prevention, hopefully in the ICU and uh, treatment ish. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's haloperidol. Um, is, what about like a chlorper um uh, chloroprom? can't even talk Chlor chlorpromazine chlorpromazine thank you or like fluvenazine or any of those you see those at all anymore personally and and this might not even be true um, for what's used today so please take this with a grain of salt i've personally only ever seen chlorpromazine and it's just for chemo nausea okay which is the one that's they use for hiccups off label isn't that chlorpromazine? i think it's also chlorpromazine. that is chlorpromazine yeah that's a weird a weird use i have also it. seen that used for hiccups I've, I've seen it as an indication and i actually thought it was wrong and i looked <laughs> I looked silly. No, I had a guy. I had a guy prescribed it, and sure enough, I checked him out, and he was hiccuping like 
she was doing it, and it was like like it made your stomach hurt to watch him hiccup the way he was. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. not laughing. Yeah. It's just the it's word is funny. I mean, it just seems like you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm coughing. That was unique. The thing is, is that he just didn't know about the pickle juice cure. Isn't that what cures hiccups? Pickle juice. I'm pretty sure. I've never heard that. AJ, AJ have you heard AJ, of that? AJ, have you heard of that? Confirmed. Oh, okay. Confirmed. <laughs> so that side of the table has heard of pickle juice. This side is... That's e- confidence. I've heard of scaring, and that's... Scaring words. Scaring, oh, or, yeah. you know, drinking water upside down and holding your breath or whatever. Telling mm-hmm. someone to try to hiccup. Now, with that, if you if you have to take a drug for it, I'm sure it's pretty severe. Yes. You his know, had been going to for be months. Fair. It was, like, oh, it was wow. like a long time. I can't even imagine. That must be debilitating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said he couldn't sleep or anything. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I'm such a jerk. Wait, <laughs> I, that's horrible. awful. That's horrible. Yeah, I know. I know. It's awful. So we mentioned um, EPS, so um, extrapyramidal symptoms. So we've talked, we did a whole podcast on tardive dyskinesia at one point, which is kind of, some, I mean, sometimes included in that, but also sometimes kind of talk about separately. Um, but EPS in general, it can be a host of things. It can be Parkinsonism, which is more where you have like um, combination of like movement abnormalities that are seen in Parkinson's disease, like the bradykinesias or the rigidities or tremors. Um, you can have the dystonia, which is where you have like this muscle contraction that happens kind of uncontrollably. Um, you can have the akathisia, um, which is like this feeling of inner restlessness. And then tardive dyskinesia, which we've talked about more at length, is the stiff, like jerky movements, um, face and body types of things. So that's the other thing that can be pretty difficult, I think, to differentiate unless you're used to seeing those kind of things. Um, Patrick, do you, do you, have you seen some of that um, in practice at this point where you have patients presenting with that? Yeah. So I actually um, am now just coming off of my rotation of inpatient psych consults, and we saw a surprising amount of this. Um, most notably, as I want to say with Parkinsonism, I was uh, shocked at like, you know, like you read it online, you see like pill rolling. And I mean, the whole time we talked to him, the guy was pill rolling mm. the whole time. It was like unreal. Um, the stiff stiffness of the joints, absolutely like a very literal thing. Um, when they say like clockwork, I believe they call it. What is it? Yeah, it's like clock clockwork work. rigidity. I think that's is it called clockwork? No, no, yeah. no, not clockwork. It's um, uh, well, it's like it's something I know like what that. you're talking about. I'm describing it, but for anyone who's not watching yes. YouTube, then you it's know, tick, tick, about. tick of your arm. Cole's, do, Cole's doing the robot it. for me. It's, it's not clockwork. It's something like clockwork. Someone's gonna correct me. Um, it's TikTok. It's not TikTok. <laughs> but Patrick, anyway, I know you're on TikTok. The the most bizarre one to me, and I know that like a lot of people think like you know tardive dyskinesia, but the most bizarre to me is uh, akathisia because it can present as nothing depending on how cogwheel, cogwheel, yeah. cogwheel. <laughs> Yeah, um, not like clockwork. not clo- clockwork makes more sense mm. to me. It's like you know whatever. It's like a ticking clock. It's like a t- Cole knew what I meant. <laughs> what if you're a Rolex and you have more of a sweeping hand? Cole knew what I meant. Um, but akathisia is like he described the the feeling of restlessness. Um, most commonly seen with aripiprazole, the only side effect of aripiprazole that is significant. Thank you so much. Pay me to sponsor, pay me, and I will advertise for you a Billify. It is the best antipsychotic in terms of uh, tolerability. Anyway, literally, ever since I've met Patrick <laughs> back in you 2018, knew I was bring it up. he can't not talk about a it's, Billify. It's, it's the his best one. Favorite you drug. need to talk to patients who take this drug. It's so they don't mind. The, uh, we've been using it a lot more at, at our yeah, clinic. I bet you have. You're so, welcome. <sighs> you are welcome, honestly. Okay. Um, so, anyway, the akathisia, which is the only. Very Rick salty called. Rick salty's uh, too expensive. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. they want their uh, they want their EPS back. That's fine. They can have it. Um, yes. <laughs> the akathisia, um, which is again really the 
biggest concern that I personally would have with starting someone on aripiprazole, just because it is one of those shorter term EPS side effects. Um, it's not something you would expect to see in years and years and years. It's something that could develop like in a week. Um, and the problem is that depending on the patient, it can look completely different. And because it's just this feeling and, and every patient I've talked to who actually has it answers it the same way. It feels like I'm, I need to like jump out of my skin. Like it's just absolutely restless and like they call it like, uh, like if you look it up, some, some, uh, definitions call it like discomfort, but it's like discomfort because you can't stand staying still. It just like hurts almost super interesting. And thankfully a lot of times just completely reversible once you start something and stop it. So, and we'll definitely come back to Eric Pepperzole because I like, I'm liking that one more. No thanks to Patrick. I don't want to give him any credit whatsoever. He's already got a big head. Vast D trial. Thank yeah, you I mean, so add, much. Added to Bupropion. We're aware. Yeah, we all yeah. read. Added to Bupropion? Or, or against uh-huh. Bupropion. Or the combination. Uh-huh. Is There's three arms. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I know there was. <laughs> yeah, we read two. <laughs> there were three. Yeah, we read. It's fine. Switch augment. Thinks he's so cool. <laughs> that trial was like so 2017. Oh, but it it actually was. I'm so impressed. Dude, Off the top th- of your head. It's just, it is what it is. With I me. am so impressed. Thank you. Wow. It's not a big deal. <laughs> no, but um, the, uh, as far as the, going back real quick to the first generation antipsychotics, like the reason why you know, we've tried to kind of move away from those is because of the different adverse effects, especially the EPS symptoms with the more higher potency ones. Um, so when it comes to high potency, we're thinking halopyridol, um, flufenazine, uh, what's the other one? Um, thiothixine, Thiothixine. that's the other high potency. And then I guess, uh, like, uh, uh, is more like intermediate or so. And then like our low potency would be like our chlorpromazine, which I can't pronounce to save my life today. Is it not halopyridol? Halopyridol is high. Am I wrong? What? It's the it's the most atypical typical, isn't it? That would be risperidone. Yeah. Am I crazy? Do I need to do I need to talk to your residency? So embarrassing. uh... No, it's just guys. uh, This is why some people. You're right because like droperidol, it is high potency. Proceed. See when me and Mike are are wrong about something, we you know we don't point it out. We just kind of. Yeah, this is like almost a whole minute. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like to me anyway. It should. I feel like last time I was here, I missed something elementary too, and I was Did really you? embarrassed about that too. That's all right. Yeah, We've yeah, done it a thousand yeah. times, so it's no big deal. Yeah, okay. Literally. You're making it a big Yeah, we deal. just let other people point it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> usually in the comments section on iTunes. Do you actually get comments uh, correcting you? Not usually no. correcting. It's usually something that we can't correct. Like, I heard your voice. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. <laughs> thank the look you. of your face. Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate the support. You need a better mic. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I know. I was like, I'll just try to fix whatever that is that I can do to fix that. You have a bad name. I do. Yeah, I don't (laughs) like it either. I don't know what you want me to do. Talk to my parents. No, so that first generation, um, you know, obviously a lot of bigger side effect profile, things like that. So second generation came out. Uh, The idea of those, they also call them the atypical antipsychotics. That's second generation. So typical being first, atypical being um, second. So those are going to have relatively lower risk of EPS. Um, You know, the risk of like specifically tardive dyskinesia is a lot lower with those typically. Um, And then also uh, some of the other, you know, depending on the agent, some of the other adverse effects can be lower as well, sometimes higher depending on the agent. We'll kind of talk through some of those. Right. Um, but one of the, the big ones that I think got a lot more attention in like the newer set of guidelines, again, the 2020 guidelines was the clozapine. Um, Patrick, you see that much used in, in clinic? I mean, much, much might be an overstatement, but I also do like follow all the clozapine patients. So from my perspective, yes. Um, 
I would say like for whom it is used, it's shocking the turnaround that some people will have. Um, the only condition being like staying on it. But like, uh, honestly, for all the monitoring you have to do, it is, I, I think the last time that we did this, you mentioned that like, if you do the monitoring, it's fine or something like that. And I have to agree. Cause I used to not think that I was like, well, you have to look at like an ANC, like that's scary. But these patients like stable, stable, stable. And then when they're not, you just hold off, let them recover. Stable, stable, stable. It's crazy. Yeah, it works great. And to those monitoring parameters, so the the big concern is a granulocytosis, which right, yeah, sorry. <laughs> is a, a you know significant um, decrease in white blood cells, primarily neutrophils. Um, so there's significant monitoring. So you think of monitoring that might be cumbersome. You think of warfarin or something with monthly monitoring. When you first start on clozapine, you have to have your ANC checked weekly for the first six months every other week for the second six months. So for the first year, they're making very significant amounts of trips to get their blood checked. After that, it's monthly. So every four weeks for a year, and then however long they're on it, they have to have their ANC checked and monitored. Uh, mild neutropenia would be an ANC, 1,000 to 1,500. Moderate, 500 to 1,000. And severe would be anything less than 500. You know, something fascinating, and, and so first of all, your monitoring is absolutely right. I mean, that for I, I wanted to say while you were listing them, like I am surprised and not because I like, don't give patients credit, but it's because I sympathize. Like I am surprised that every week for that long that you go get your blood drawn, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it does work out. And more notably in COVID, some of those labs have been deferred right. because these patients are so stable. And I've been hearing about some people like trying to do a retrospective trial to see if that makes a difference. Yeah. And if it doesn't, if you're actually getting every other month monitoring, I mean, what if that starts contributing to changing monitoring? I mean, that'd be crazy. That would be crazy. Right. Because it, it's an FDA RIMS program. That's why they have to do this. That's why pharmacies right. yeah, who <laughs> dispense it have to be certified to dispense it. And then doctors who prescribe it have to be certified to prescribe it. So it's this whole thing. So when COVID happened, the FDA put out a release back in March, I think it was March 22nd, basically saying that if if need be, if the risk outweighed the benefits, they could forego testing for a period of time or whatever, or at least do in, more infrequent testing, which is a big deal because, you know, similar to iPledge or any other RIMS program, it's very serious and you can't dispense the no, no blood, no drug. Is that what they say or whatever? Um, so, yeah, it, that's very interesting that what COVID had, had done to the treatment. And it's typically started off fairly low dose and then slowly titrated up. One, because of the orthostatic hypotension, the bradycardia, um, syncope, all that stuff. And it also can lower your seizure threshold as well if you go too quickly. Um, the other kind of adverse effects we're typically thinking about is like the weight gain potential and maybe even um, affecting your lipid levels, so inducing some dyslipidemia. Um, but yeah, the orthostatic hypotension, kind of like we talked about earlier, Patrick, with like Seroquel is definitely a concern with clozapine, at least something to let patients be aware of, not necessarily a concern. But, um, if you have a patient that's struggling with, you know, some of the weight and some of the, like maybe the metabolic, um, syndrome type symptoms with their lipid panels on a little off, at least, you know, giving them some supplemental meds if possible, or if needed, um, maybe some diet, you know, education, things like that. Because I would, I would argue that controlling their symptoms is probably more important than worrying about the weight gain, but um, still something to think about because you don't want to add a bunch of comorbidities because patients, you know, not doesn't have a healthy, uh, healthy balance, I guess, throughout those other health conditions and whatnot. I would say if it's available to you in whatever practice setting that you're in, if you are starting clozapine in a patient um, and you have like any reason to suspect that it might not be safe, just 
please check like a baseline ECG. It's like in the monitoring parameters, but it's not even like it's like the heaviest hitter. Don't get me wrong, it's heavy um, in terms of like prolonging your QTC and risking torsades, but but just keeping in mind that most of these patients don't stay at like the 100 BID. You know, like over time, this will be a pretty significant dose for, for many patients. Um, and just trying to get ahead of that so that you at least have a baseline for the future. Oh, and especially, I guess, if they have other, you know, potential drugs that can put along the QT interval or low mag levels, a history of low mag, something like that. Absolutely. Something Age, to consider. chronic illness, so many things. And there's a few of those second generations that we do have to worry about that with. Um, oh, of course. And like I said, we've, we've already discussed this before in a previous episode, we've, so we won't go through every single one of these yeah, agents. What's not one of them? What, as far as QT? Yeah. Aripiprazole? Yeah, good answer. It is Aripiprazole. I'm going to fight Patrick <laughs> in about three seconds. Potentially even so, shortening. So is quetiapine. So is uh, risperidone. Should I keep going? Uh, oh, Latuda, Latuda. <laughs> Several others besides Aristink and Piperzol. <sighs> this guy. <laughs> no, but we went through a lot of these, but I guess let's touch on just some of the different adverse effects to keep in mind. I will definitely say Patrick is 100% right as much as it absolutely just pains me to say. Yeah, I make it hard to admit. It's <laughs> extremely. <laughs> but uh, Aripiperzol does seem to have a very low side effect profile comparatively. And in fact, there's certain tests on, or certain questions on like, I don't know, certain board certifications and things like that that may say uh like give you a whole list of different comorbidities and things like that and then ask well, which uh, antipsychotic would this patient be best suited for and airprazole <laughs> seems to be the answer on every single one of them because i was going through and i was like I literally as i was taking my ambulatory care boards i was going <laughs> i was like doggone it patrick i was literally angry at him thinking about him <laughs> that's awesome i'm glad yeah you knew so, yeah well it wasn't just from you but uh. <laughs> No, but as far as like the main things of we so we said weight gain with um, clozapine, and we'll come back to this, like where clozapine kind of fits in a minute. But other ones to think about, olanzapine oh, is the really really yeah. bad one when it comes to any of the metabolic syndrome, yeah. syndrome diabetes. Mm -hmm. It for us at our clinic, it was a big deal because we had that was one of our cheaper antipsychotics for a while. Now we have Abilify and some other ones, but um, that a lot of patients got put on that because we had like a direct relief where we could give it for free and stuff like that. But these patients also had diabetes, and it was like causing their diabetes to be much harder to control, um, especially at like higher doses and whatnot, but increases weight gain, um, you know, diet glucose control, dyslipidemia, all that stuff. Um, and then it also can increase sedation as well or cause sedation rather. Um, but, uh, olanzapine and clozapine are probably the biggest as far as weight gain goes. Um, some of the ones that have, uh, probably the highest instance of lipid dyslipidemia is probably clozapine is the highest and olanzapine as well. Um, so metabolic syndrome, those are the two you should always be thinking about as far as that, especially when it comes to the blood sugar, the blood glucose control, lanzapine is always a culprit. Um, and as far as like sedation, um, again, lanzapine, oh, <laughs> quetiapine is another one, yeah. mm -hmm. so Seroquel, um, and then clozapine again. So we're trying to see a pattern here, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, if you look at like which ones have fairly low adverse effects in all those areas. So the things, the main things admit the metabolic syndrome symptoms. So like weight gain, um, diabetes, uh, dyslipidemia, and then things like, um, cardiac, um, issues, whether it's orthostatic hypotension or QTC prolongation, and then also sedation is the other big category to kind of focus on. One of the, the ones that have the little, their least amount of those or risk of those things happening, aripiprazole, like we said, mm -hmm. um, is pretty low. Most of them, maybe orthostatic hypotension, but other than that, 
Braylar's fairly low. Um, Latuda. Latuda is another low one. Um, it's got like, I guess, moderate sedation and akathisia is another potential risk with that one, just like it is with aripiprazole. There's got to be a mechanism there. Like when you have low risk of those other things going on, maybe it's got higher binding affinity to D2. Is that what it is? I'm just making this up in real time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's the understanding. I, I guess I don't, I can't say for sure. I, I never looked into it. So I, if, okay. it, if it's the common understanding, then sorry. Okay, well, I mean, <laughs> I just never thought about it. I guess I should know too. I mean, we were hoping, but that's fine. All right. Pause the podcast. Look this up and come back and hit play. No. Pause the podcast. Yeah, right. Like that's I mean, ever happened for anything. Is there a pause button? On this? <laughs> I thought it was just play and stop. <laughs> so stop your workout. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Um, Zeprazidone is one that, uh, we have to worry about QT prolongation. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. It's actually like nuts too. Um, I mean the, okay. Yeah. It's so excited. <laughs> sorry. About sorry. It's no, just because you're very I, passionate. It's good. I'm passionate about like anything I've had to answer a drug info question on. Cause it means that I've really like, poured over it and, and like learned the answer, but like Zeprazidone is like nasty. Um, and the thing is it actually like in practice usually doesn't. And my theory is that that's because people don't eat a meal with it and that they don't get the full thing. And that's just my theory. That's cause I'm, it's a conspiracy for sure. Don't take that as a fact, but like people, when they do have QTC prolongation, it goes like beyond the pale. Like we're talking about like over 50 milliseconds. It's like nuts. So when I was in, I was a uh, fourth year. I, I, I want to see what rotation I was. I was on one of my acute care rotations. Sure. I was on rounds and we had, we had rounds like in a, um, like not actually in the actual patient's rooms. We were just, were like kind of meeting beforehand and it was just me. I was the only, my preceptor was um, handling another issue at the time. And I was just sitting in the room listening to rounds. And um, it was nothing but, there was an attending and like four residents and, and me. And I, I was like, I finally had my moment. Why I even opened my mouth, I don't know. But like, I saw, they were like going through all the different patient stuff. And one patient was on Geodon. And I, I like kind of like raised my hand. I was like, does anybody know if like uh, um, he ate? Like if he's getting it oh, with a wow. meal, I said that. Well, they they all looked at me and they're like, "What?" Because his stomach said and upset, and they all cracked up laughing at me. And I'm Stop. sitting there, and I was like, and I was just like, I was like, you know me, I'm not, I don't like getting laughed at very well. And so I was like a little bit irritated. I was like, no, not and, and I, I probably in hindsight I was probably pretty rude. But I was like, I was like, no, not because his stomach hurts, because you has to be taken with like a 500 calorie or more meal, or it's not going to be effective and cause QT prolongation and all this. And they were like, oh. They're like, oh, I guess we should check the nursing notes. And I was like, it ended up being, my preceptor was like, yeah, he's spot oh, on. Why y'all laughing at him? Gosh. I was so mad. That's I was like, awful. I finally had a moment. And they just all crack up laughing like I'm an idiot. I hate the fact that they laughed. That's the worst part. It's they're, they're all on the same page. It's fine because they all knew I was right later. <laughs> so redemption. It ended but, up fine. Yeah, it ended you were fine. vindicated. And it's fine. And then, and honestly, it's a chip on my shoulder I've carried to this day. So. Yeah, I definitely so don't fine. remember all of their names. It, yeah. <laughs> it's the reason I've done everything I do. I got a little notebook. I got a little notebook i'm just waiting to take them down he knows all their names where they live (laughs) when you get the platinum podcast award for listen it was only it was february it was february 2015 it's not like i'm not like i'm remembering it doesn't matter take it with food (laughs) hold me back cole for that also lorazidone i don't want to go too far past it it's the same deal just less food yeah the uh, lorazidone is surprising have you seen this where um they showed that uh it's like one of the only drugs that's been shown when you have a patient that has depression with mixed features, um, like specifically where they can't, haven't quite met the criteria for hypomania 
It's so you couldn't give push them into the category. bipolar depression with mixed features. So actual major depression disorder with mixed, with mixed features. features. Okay, sorry. So not yeah, quite I bipolar. I misunderstood. So, okay. So that drug, um, the Latuda monotherapy, is the only drug that's been shown to be like that's been studied in that particular patient, mm-hmm. uh, you know, category that's been uh, shown to be efficacious. So the number needed to treat was like three. <laughs> And, uh, and like the, uh, that David Osler's group at a Harvard medical that wrote that paper. I don't even know what now Patrick's laughing at me. <laughs> well, it's just, you're like three. It was, low. that's pretty low. That's when, low. Name one other study that has a number to treat of three. I don't know. Name one. Go. I don't know. You can't. That's oh, right. A coal. Not got nothing. Yeah. Okay. That's because it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> Patrick, get out of here. I was waiting for like. <laughs> UKPDS. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was not three. Not even close. Not even close. 20 years later, they met Metformin made- to decrease um, blood sugar. Uh, number to treat of one. We're also going to get blasted for this for going way off topic oh, yeah, 50 times. Cole's brother's well, not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to scold y'all after the podcast. Oh. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad y'all have escaped good this week. Yeah, that's true. Thank God Patrick's here. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, disclaimer. We went off the rails because of Patrick. <laughs> wow. Here's his address. <laughs> and his phone number. Okay. <laughs> troll, troll him like crazy. <laughs> troll. Um, what about uh, uh, Kepleta? Have you seen that at all? I'm so sorry. What's Kepleta? I don't know brand names at all. Oh, boy. You're going to make me ask? L- um, it, what's the brand? It's a uh, Luma... Lumatep- Lumateperone? Lumateperone. Oh, my gosh. Thank just you. say Lumateperone. So, actually, the reason I don't know that one don't, is because I've been... First of all, you didn't know the brand name, which is all, all of the commercials. First honestly. of all, I've been following it since it was a number, mm-hmm. okay? So, okay. I know it much better than you, <laughs> but... Um, well, we'll say. I remember I texted you about it, I think, and I said, this is going to change bipolar. <laughs> you were like, okay. <laughs> Probably have the text right here. Don't Let me go ahead and pull it up. Don't look it up. <laughs> the, um, it, it started off very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Lumateperone was known as uh, being very, very hopeful for not even causing EPS while controlling uh, psychosis because the thought was that its selectivity was so much more specific than every other antipsychotic that we have that it could selectively um, inhibit the dopamine receptors that we're looking for when we're talking about like actually preventing psychosis and delusions and all that, but not the ones that are associated with EPS. And so it started off very promising. Um, then it didn't even finish one of its trials because it was so bad. And I, I really don't know what happened. Um, but after that, you know, they bounced back a little bit and now they're a real drug. But I thought it was going to change everything. I thought we were going to have new antipsychotics forever. Um, but anyway. Well, because it, it's got, it's, it's a partial agonist at D2 presynaptically and then antagonist postsynaptically, correct? Uh, that I know that's right. correct. So I'm looking at uh, okay. it. Okay. It sounds no, right because I, I don't to, have anything in front of me right, right, right. for y'all listening at home. No, I just wanted to point out that uh, Patrick maybe doesn't know as well as he thinks he does. I just explained. Eh, kind of. Didn't say the numbers. Yeah, no, I mean, we just most of our listeners like people to be thorough, but that's fine. Oh, well, thanks for doing that then. You're welcome. Thank God I'm here. Yeah, with the computer. Anyway. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um. Yeah, so as far as that's kind of like a quick overview, we can, uh, I, I, if you guys are curious, I have a, a couple cool slides I can send you all if you really um, want more information on the different side effects and what has a, the risk and likelihood of them happening. But I will say there's one that we haven't mentioned before we move on, and that's uh, prolactinemia or hyperprolactinemia, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, a big concern with all the typicals and 
Risperidone. Are you yeah. quizzing me right now? No, it's because you corrected he me earlier. He does like to quiz you during like live on podcasts. No, no, it's because my... I'm making no, fun of myself here because yeah, I didn't no. know it earlier. Bring it on. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying the uh, prolactinemia, is, or sorry, hyperprolactinemia is like kind of hard because it's almost like you just have to switch after that. There's no real coming back from it. There's no like bounce back of decreasing the dose. You just have to try another agent that hopefully doesn't have that concern with it. Super interesting. Is it? Is it primarily just like patient complaints so they want to switch or is there any big concerns with them well i mean it's like uncomfortable you know um trying to remember the main symptoms well i'm thinking i'm thinking about like the guy who was like no i'm okay with my symptoms i want my mood to be better like can you be like okay well as long as you're okay with these symptoms we'll just keep rolling well so actually um in my experience when people get labs and again like the prolactin labs you know are not often at all i mean like we're talking about like I'll be honest, my only experience is with men. So we have like the obvious side, yeah, like the obvious side effect. And that is intolerable. But I will also say that when providers have had a high prolactin level, they have also like mandated a switch. Um, so I would say either or yeah. it really depends. But probably switch. Well, I guess in, in females, if I remember correctly, it can cause like amenorrhea. Mm, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah. I, I would call that intolerable. Yeah. Or just give them bromocryptine, call it a day. Let's not. Let's <laughs> Add on another drug to treat a side effect just of one saying, drug. Just saying, Give them two. Hey, hashtag pharmacists. AJ, we got options over here, dude. Don't worry about it. If you, hey, if you, need, if you need answers, you come to me, not Patrick. Give them two units of blood. <laughs> treat it. So uh. it's, let's, let's talk through some of these. Uh, now that we're just completely off the rails. Um, let's talk about some of these uh, guidelines that the American Psychiatric Association put in, um, on paper in 2020. Well, before we move on, I actually do. Please. I want to include AJ in this. Is um, AJ? What's your understanding of like where we are, like with uh, like mental health treatment? Like when we say like antipsychotic, do you like know what we're talking about? Are we like going too fast? Because I can't remember if I knew. I you mean, from like a I knew P1, what they were from a P one perspective, yeah. just like what do you know about it? Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I'd, I've got a greater understanding than the general population okay. of the United States about <laughs> the disease state. But uh, just there's a lot of questions for you know beginning medical experts like. What even do we allow to be treatable? When do of people course. come in and say, hey, we've diagnosed you with schizophrenia, but it's at the point where, you know, if it's not bothering you, we're not going to try to mm. even go yeah. down that road. There's a lot of questions and things that people like me have. That's pretty about. wise. Consider mental health. <laughs> have some empathy for your patients. Yeah. And even though he sounds like he's being sarcastic, he's not, actually being. Did that sound sarcastic? <laughs> no, slightly. I'm just saying people who don't know bit. you maybe have taken it that way. It was but wise for he, a P1 he, to he say. He is being serious. That's how he sounds sincere, believe it or not. Well, I appreciate you making that disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, it, it, like I said, it, that even gets confusing for me. I would say, like, just not working in this space, you know, and dealing with, you know, this this a lot. Of, that would be a hard thing for even me to be able to jump in and just be like, all right, got this. But that's a good segue because part of the guideline, they're basically saying if the patient has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, they do want them to be treated with an antipsychotic mm-hmm. pretty much across the board. So when was the last time we had these guidelines? 2004? No. It's been a heck of a long time, right? Really? Is has that it long? been that long? For APA? Uh, let's I could be wrong. See. I think it's been a while. I feel like they mentioned it in the guidelines of when they actually... Yeah, 2004. Yeah, um, they crazy. Did a, they did a... F- no, yeah, you're right, 2004. Yeah, that's a long time. Because the American... Uh, they did the full practice guidelines in 2004, and they did like a guideline watch in 2009. Yeah, that's right, they did. That's right, that's right. But still, it's a long time ago. They didn't change a whole lot. No. 
Clozapine's more prominent. That's, the big, That's the big thing. Yeah. They, and I feel like they did that, and then they also really specified like what treatment options they want if the patient does have a specific type of EPS. They did kind of go into more detail about mm-hmm. that as well. I'm sure, I mean, there's a lot of new drugs that have come out since 2004, so I'm sure they just plugged those in there. But uh, as far as, you know, first-line therapies, yeah, it's, if it's treatment-resistant, consider clozapine more than you would have before. High-risk for suicide, uh, aggressive behavior, consider clozapine more than you have been before. So just a big emphasis on clozapine. And then also they talk about uh, the long-acting injectables, um, especially if the patient has a history of poor adherence or if you're not sure if they're going to be adherent or not, the long-acting injectables is definitely the way to go. Yeah. if As long as you can get access to it, which I feel like it's fairly easy to get those medications. Even if you don't, patient doesn't have insurance and things like that, you can find ways to get them, uh, whether it's through the drug company and whatnot. Right. The, only, the, the main mon- or adherence issue would be going in and having it injected unless they did it themselves or whatever, you know. And I'm just talking from a cost standpoint because oh, yeah. they can be expensive. But I know like the, so some of the drug companies will give you, if you're, if you're a psych doc, will we'll give you access to a couple, you know, samples like every month or something like that because we've done that a few times at our clinic. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, so they're definitely ways. That's one thing I will say about working in a place like Fetter that I've, I've learned a lot about like how to find some of these medications, you know, even brand name certain medications that I can get for free for patients. There's a lot of programs out there that I had no idea existed before. Right. So that's been super helpful. We should do an episode one of these days on that. Like options? Yeah. Yeah. We should do or a, just like where to find. Yeah. Because we know like a lot of stuff assistance. in South Carolina, but it'd be interesting to get a countrywide list, mm. you know, of, of ways that patients can get free medication. Yeah. There's definitely definitely some good options. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so basically um, those things, and then like, like Cole was saying, um, clozapine, they just kind of re... Uh, they talked about that several times, and that's a much more. We need to keep that in consideration, maybe more frequently than we were before. Um, as far as some of the EPS, you know, adverse effects that we want, they want to deal with. You know, they they give recommendations on how to um, treat those and handle those. So, if a patient is having um, dystonia, like acute dystonia associated with their medication, they recommend treating with anticholinergic, so like benzotropine. Um, if the patient is having um, Parkinsonism. Um, associated with their therapy, either lowering the dose, um, switching to another antipsychotic medication, um, or you can also use an anticholinergic as well, like a benzotropine, um, to kind of treat those symptoms. I'm going to say a similar thing with akathisia. Lower the dose, switch to another, or add a benzo, or add propranolol. And I guess from the mechanism, you kind of assume why they would want to do that. What about TD, Patrick? Your favorite drugs? (laughs) (laughs) What? They are my favorite drugs. I got them approved for you. I, know, I don't. I actually I don't even that. know if that like did that last. Were they actually approved for you? So we were having issues with because um, you got the Ingrezza, right? Yeah, the like Valbenazine. The, the Valben. So I, the couple people that we've gone and done uh, since then have been the Ostido, just because it's been easier to get. I totally believe that. Um, I think that's true universally. And it sucks because it's twice daily instead of once daily. Yeah. But it's been way easier to deal for whatever yeah. reason. The getting the med is so much easier. You know, I remember when I was with you, and so sorry. What we're talking about is like do tetrabenazine, tetrabenazine, valbenazine are like your your three mainstays of uh, like your VMAT2 inhibitors, your vesicular monoamine transport 2 inhibitors. And the really big pearl here, if you learn nothing else about them, is that you have to keep taking it. It will stop working. I've seen this in practice several times where people go from absolutely controlled to they say, I don't need it anymore. And they are back at baseline or worse. I mean, it is it is absolutely imperative that you keep taking it. That's so interesting. So it, at this point, it looks like it's lifetime. I, so, okay. So the, 
I don't want to misspeak, but um, if you look at the actual, I want to say it's the valbenazine trial that got it approved, they've got these amazing graphics that really show you visually what I'm talking about. So I encourage you to look that up. They've got these beautiful images. You can probably see it on Google Images either easily. I know what you're talking about. Because they're so good. Mm-hmm. And what you see is like, I mean, I think that they only measured them at first. Gosh, I don't want to misspeak. It's either like 52 or 96 weeks. And when they looked at them the first time, you see this like complete control. And then once they cut it off, it goes the other direction mm. sharply, like within a few weeks, it's back to baseline again or worse. Um, so like, unfortunately it might be, um, yeah. it's definitely based on the patient's goals. You know, it's not like it's really going to be based on their functional life and how severe it is. Unfortunately, man, those drug companies have to be happy from a financial standpoint because they're going to be taking it for years and years and years. I guess, so. you know, you know how they <laughs> think. They yeah. Uh, hopefully it's one of those things that we can, will eventually find an actual, Cure, cure, Because yeah. yeah. at least benazine and the um, the Ostido, both of those have been at least better uh, agents than we had before. But uh, yeah, still got a long way to go. But that was great because before that, there was nothing. Yeah, you know? I mean that's 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 the, great. I think the big thing is trying to catch TD before it even you know yeah. before it has a oh, chance well, to sorry, like yes, stick it and then try Prevention to hopefully would be the, try a different goal. drug. Yes. Yeah. But which is one of the reasons why I think we've a lot of times gotten away from our first gen antipsychotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- we did do a whole episode on akathisia and tardive dis- or on uh, EPS and TD, didn't yeah, we? It was just TD, I think. It was just TD. Mm-hmm. Wow, look at us! <laughs> <laughs> look at look at us! Look at us! Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did we uh, did we leave anything out, Patrick? That's that's pertinent. You can think of. Oh, is that everything? I don't know. Oh, um, for today well, at least. Oh, well, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, obviously, we're gonna have to do this one again. You know, once everybody <laughs> forgets about it, <laughs> we're gonna do a review of the 2020 guidelines, 2021. Um, I will say that there are several things that, like, you know, if if we're talking about like schizophrenia, schizophrenia, then uh, you know, like we could talk about like the other stuff involved, like the actual like non pharmacotherapy. But I understand that like you know pharmacotherapy is like the focus. But I will say that like non-schizophrenia psychosis is is like definitely a thing with like treatment resistant severe depression with bipolar especially like schizoaffective or, or or something along those lines and you don't always like i i want to like say for someone listening if they aren't that familiar with schizophrenia or these mental health states antipsychotics should almost never be your first move unless we're talking about true like schizophrenia and like actual like dysfunction because of it. Um, like if someone has treatment resistant depression while like I'm referencing with like VASD while antipsychotics are some of the most effective augmentation agents you can have. Um, and especially if there's psychosis present, of course, but if it's just true treatment resistant depression, there are many other options and sometimes treating the mood can resolve that psychosis. And it depends on the degree. Of course, I don't want to be irresponsible here and say, don't treat the psychosis, but, (laughs) but I also don't want to say if your patient, has something that seems like a delusion, maybe it's not time for an antipsychotic. It might be time for a referral, for example, um, and let a psychiatrist diagnose them with something first before you actually pursue it. And I think, I think too, the other, the way I think about it too, when it comes to like depression, if you need to augment, if the patient has depression and also has like anxious distress on top of it, like they're dealing with anxiety and depression, that's really where I start to automatically think like maybe adding Abilify as my, my augmenter. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, we say it like as a joke, but Abilify Five, it's it's not it's not benign, but it it sure is 
better than the alternatives Yeah, as far as tolerability goes. And if it works, then it works. The only concern that we have is like response really at that point. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. Like now it. we've covered all of it. <laughs> nothing left. That's it. We're done. Patrick, man, thanks for coming over here. I know you've been spent 10 hours working today, so I appreciate you taking the time. 11. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. 11. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I'm going to choke him out when we get off here. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, I love you, buddy. Always a pleasure. <laughs> thanks for having me. AJ, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for having I me. Know, uh, I saw you at work today, too, so I'm glad you... Uh, you know, who needs to study for finals, right? You're with us. Good <laughs> he enough. is studying for finals. Good enough. I mean, you've got, you got to have a psych in there somewhere, right? Sure. Probably, honest probably not. When probably are your not. finals? Tomorrow. Oh, nice. Stop, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. confidence. That's, dude, yeah. that's why I like him. Okay. He's like, finals? <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me a mall right like now. That. He yeah, did. he was. That's what he, he said. He didn't blow it off. <laughs> he did. He's going to get A's like crazy. It's just what he, it's what he does. AJ's the man. They don't call him AJ. Okay. No. <laughs> Forget it. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks. <laughs> Cut me off. <laughs> Please. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I know that episode was a little bit more uh, random than we, we normally do, but that's just because I like hanging out with Patrick and going off off script with him. But it is what it is. I can't help it. Yeah, Patrick's always fun to have him around. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe on uh, whatever platforms you like. Um, if you want to leave a, a nice um, comment on YouTube's, or iTunes, rather, we, we like that. That's cool. If you want to leave a mean one, I guess that's fine, too. It's yeah, pretty- reference YouTunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to leave a bad comment, leave it on Patrick's Facebook page, please. <laughs> But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you guys also so much for the, those of you who have joined the, the Patreon account. Like That means the world to us. That's helped us out a ton. I'm shocked that so many people have supported us on there. It's going to definitely help us keep making the podcast better, adding equipment and things like that. So I really appreciate that as well. hope those are enjoyable. And if you have any questions or concerns or comments or anything like that, please reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. Uh, our emails will be in the show notes. And then um, I'll include all of Patrick's information too so you can get in touch with him immediately. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take it easy.